Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Let's pray. God, you are a very present help for us right now and right here today. Lord, our world has been turned upside down, but you know that, and you know every aspect of it. The darkness is as light to you. So in the midst of the confusion of this world, we come to you, we turn to you and ask that you would orientate us to see things how you see things, to have our hopes be directed to you and to heaven. Lord, we ask that today that your word would shape our hearts to take refuge in you. Lord, may we drink deeply today of the river of the city of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. It's a joy to be back in Rochester. Emma and I are eager to, to move uh, here to Rochester and, and begin life with all of you. Uh, just a couple days ago, as Keith mentioned, uh, God did provide a home for us uh, in southeast Rochester. Uh, so thank you for all of your prayers. And especially thank you to, to a handful of people who have helped us search and, and helped us with other details. The last time I preached was the first Sunday the church was not able to gather uh, here for corporate worship. And today is the last Sunday uh, before uh, many begin gathering back here again. Uh, so I've been able to preach on the, on the bookends of, of exclusive virtual services. And, and in between uh, these times, there has just been, it's just been incredible how our world has changed. These past three months have just been unprecedented. 
COVID-19 turned the world on its head. And as we've seen, hundreds of thousands who have died worldwide, the economic downturn of many countries, the loss of jobs, the furloughs here at Mayo, the permanent closings of businesses, small and corporate alike, uh, the suspension of worship services and sports, social distancing guidelines, masks, and so much more. This, uh, this is a different world than it was three months ago. And then, as, as if it were possible to even forget the pandemic, on May 25th, George Floyd was killed by a police officer in Minneapolis, resulting in, in protests, riots, incredible property destruction, fires, looting, and in, then even military intervention. Every day, it got worse and worse, and then it spread to countless cities uh, across the nation. Um, and so, I, I don't know about you, but when I wake up, I'm a little apprehensive to check the news for fear that something even worse has happened. So how do we respond when our world gets turned upside down? Psalm 46 is a psalm for these times. Today we need Psalm 46. Psalm 46 reminds us that this world is unstable. We should have already known that three months ago, but now we know it more than ever. Psalm 46 reminds us that the world is unstable, but also that there is a God who is very present to help us. A God who is with his people. A God who is sovereign over the raging nations. This text, it, it doesn't tell us everything about how we are to live uh, in response, as Christians in response to, to George Floyd's death, to, to riots and racism, the pandemic, loss of jobs and so forth. But what it does say is essential for Christians. It doesn't say everything, but what it does say is essential for us today. This passage shows us the greatest comforts in the midst of the greatest catastrophes. The most significant promise in this passage today that I pray each one of us believes and builds our lives upon is this. God is with you, Christian, in your greatest troubles. God is with us. Emmanuel. Today, we'll consider three points from Psalm 46. First, we will consider the great catastrophes of life. Second, then we will consider the great comfort of God. And then, third, uh, the great commission of Christ. So the great, the great catastrophes of life, the great comfort of God, and the great commission of Christ. So let's consider the great catastrophes of life. Let's look uh, in our text here at verses 1 through 3. Verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. Psalm 46 does not describe this world as a utopia. 
a place where everything is perfect. No, there is there's trouble, real, deep, and dark trouble. The poetry here speaks of the earth giving way, of mountains crumbling into the sea, of the raging waters of the ocean, of earthquakes. What's more secure than a mountain? You know, mountains are immovable. And what's more dependable than the ground underneath your feet? So when we hear poetry of, of mountains being moved into the sea and the earth giving way, we get a sense of the most secure aspects of life losing all their stability and security. There are times when, when creation is unstable. And when, when pandemics jeopardize public health, when famines hit a land, when tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes, earthquakes wreak havoc. But it isn't just creation that's insecure. So are people and governments and nations. We see this in verse 6. Let's look at verse 6. It says, The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. The nations are not satisfied. Peace only lasts for so long. Economies go up, and then they go down. Protesters demand change. Rioters put change in their own hands. Bad cops tarnish the reputation of good cops. A new president erases the work of the previous president, only to have his own work erased by the next. Kingdoms totter and eventually fall. I came across an interactive map of the timeline of world history. It shows the past 5,000 years of, of nations and civilizations springing up and, and then being taken over or, or changing. After you've seen how much of the world has, has historically changed, you can kind of see how, how the past 70 years since World War II has been fairly stable and, 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 and peaceable. But think of all the empires and kingdoms of the earth that are gone. The Indus civilization, gone. All the ancient kingdoms of Egypt, gone. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, gone. The great empire of Alexander the Great, it's no more. All 13 of the Chinese dynasties are gone. The Roman Empire is gone. The Umayyad Caliphate that spread Islam through North Africa and up into Spain and even farther beyond that, it's gone. The Mayan civilization, the Byzantine Empire, the Mongol Empire, the Ottoman Empire, countless Native American tribes, gone. And there are many more. Many more. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. Now, I'm not implying that America will topple anytime soon, but, but what, what God wants us to realize is that all the nations of the world, including our own, are not immovable. They are not our security. They are not our refuge. So what is our response to this instability? I mean, it's, it's, it's fear often, isn't it? It's fear. But what is our response to fear? How, how, how are you handling these times? How are you handling the fear in your heart when it, when it comes? When we're afraid 
and insecure, we turn to a refuge. What's, what's your refuge? Where do you go when you feel unsafe? Where do you go for security? What or who do you turn to as your, as your functional refuge? I mean, people turn to all, all kinds of things to escape fear. Do you turn to food to de-stress? Do you turn to, to your spouse for, for, uh, for refuge and, and raise your expectations that they'll make you feel secure and happy and safe? Do you entertain yourself with, with, uh, with sports and endless statistics, projections, games? Do you treat your home as your safe, safe space where you can, you can hide and you can, you can be separate from the world and you can, you can uh, kind of let the pain be out there? In this uh, season of social distancing, uh, many of our functional refuges have been inaccessible. Uh, maybe we've learned a lot about ourselves in these times. Uh, many forms of entertainment have, have, have been closed. Restaurants have been closed. Um, the sports are on hold. Uh, and, and perhaps for a few months here, you haven't been able to uh, work off all your stress at the fitness center. I think that the, the biggest functional refuge right now is, is probably the Internet. It's an abyss of information, of videos, social media, news articles, uh, things to buy, uh, creative ideas, uh, and, 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 and games, and so much, so much more. It's very easy to, to, to be distracted uh, from, from the present crises. Now, now, some of the ways that we deal with stress are they're, they're very natural. I mean, we're, we're embodied worshipers. We, 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 we're physical people. We need to, uh, to, to deal with stress in a variety of, of, of ways. We need to put our head on our pillow. We need to stop thinking about, about things sometimes. But, but after we turn off our minds or, or entertain our... But we often turn off our minds or, or, or we entertain ourselves without coming to God as our refuge in prayer. We often skip coming to God. We don't rest our hearts in Him. So what is your functional refuge? Is it satisfying you? Is it actually doing anything to take away your fear? This psalm brings us to a better refuge. The best refuge God alone offers us the greatest comfort in the midst of the greatest catastrophes. So now let's meditate on, the, on our second point, on, on the great comfort of God. Let's look again at verses 1 and 2. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Here we have the promise of great comfort today on earth in the midst of great trouble. Did you see the logic of this text? Let's work it backwards from verse 2. Even though the world around us collapses, we will not fear. Why? Because of verse 1. Because God is our refuge and strength. Because, because God is a very present help in trouble. God promises help for you today. He is your protection and shelter today. 
He used your strength of heart and faith today. We will not fear. God is nearer to you in the midst of trouble than what you may realize. Psalm 23 gives this same promise when it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And Psalm 139 reiterates the same comfort. It says, If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So even when we're covered in darkness and there's no light to make sense out of anything that is going on, when the, when the, when the present and the future look as uncertain as ever, God is with you and sees everything with complete clarity. The darkness is as light to God. Now that, that doesn't mean that evil is like good to God. That's not what it's saying. But it's saying rather that uncertainty and confusion and chaos, the unknowns of, of the world, are all thoroughly known and understood by God. He was not surprised by the riots. He knows where every harmful virus is on the planet and where you are in relation to them. And he thoroughly knows, knows your immune system. These confusing days are known completely by God. And you are known thoroughly and completely by God. As we look at news sources to try to make sense of what's going on in our world right now, and, and we see so many contradictions here and there from, from different news sources as we're trying to get a sense for what's, what's happening out there. God knows everything clearly. There's no darkness to Him. Nothing is veiled before His eyes. So take comfort in that. Fear no evil because of that. This promise that God will be your protection is a significant theme in Revelation. I mean, it, it, throughout Revelation we see that God preserves His people through the greatest tribulations of this world. I just think how providential it was that God had our church here go through the book of Revelation in the midst of this time. I can hardly think of a better book to go through, to know that God is with us through any trial. When we come to Psalm 46, we can personalize it with our own fears. So try, try paraphrasing and personalizing the psalm with your own words, with, with whatever has turned your life upside down. It might sound something like this. God is my refuge and strength. He's right there with me, even in the greatest trouble of my day. Therefore, I will not fear. Though a pandemic sweeps across the world, though George Floyd is killed, though riots break out in the Twin Cities, though racism continues in our communities and in our hearts, Though jobs are lost or furloughed, though the stress of everything right now 
feels like a pressure cooker for my family. I will not fear. God is with me. So how would you paraphrase this psalm? How do you tend to fear? And when the psalm boldly says, we will not fear, it does not mean that the Christian's life is, is absent from all fear. No, we, we are we're sensible and, and we're, we're not just senseless and, and impenetrable, impenetrable uh, once we're saved. Uh, in his commentary on Psalm 46, John Calvin speaks uh, to ongoing fear in a Christian's life, even in the midst of, and, and he, he says, even in the midst of a general crash of the whole world. <laughs> that kind of that sounds like our time, doesn't it? Uh, so he says, when, uh, when the psalmist says, we will not fear, he is not to be understood as meaning that the minds of the godly are exempt from all fear, as if they were destitute of feeling. For there is a great difference between insensibility and the confidence of faith. He only shows that whatever may happen, they are never overwhelmed with fear but rather gather strength and courage sufficient to allay all fear. So as Christians, we acknowledge and expect feelings of fear in these times, but but we are not overwhelmed with terror. And we can gather strength and courage to fight our fear and grow in our confidence of faith. So we have seen that God is a present help for you, even today. Now we will see the promise of comfort forever in heaven. God promises both comfort today and comfort forever, and we need to consider both. Look now at uh, verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. In verses 2 and 3, right before these verses, we see the waters of death that bring chaos and fear. But now we consider another water. A river that brings life, security, joy. We see that there is another city, the city of of God, untouched and unmoved by the crumbling mountains. In the midst of our trouble, it is essential that we do not forget the city of God and the river of that city. So, so what's what's the city? What's this river? How do we get to this city? How do we enjoy this river? You might first think that this city is Jerusalem. But unlike many major cities, uh, Jerusalem is actually not on a river or a a major body of water. Uh, Jerusalem has many cisterns uh, to collect rainwater, and uh, and water had to be brought up from the the Gihon stream farther down outside of the city gates. Eventually, King Hezekiah built a tunnel to bring the water from the Gihon streams into the city walls to protect Jerusalem from vulnerability to siege. If you visit Israel today, you can, you can walk through Hezekiah's tunnel. 
So, so there's no river in Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem, uh, it, it would have been very glad to have a river run through it. <laughs> and they were very glad uh, when Hezekiah brought that tunnel uh, to, to begin to source uh, some, some water in a more reliable way. Now the text here also says that the city of God, it, it shall not be moved. Uh, that doesn't really describe Jerusalem either. I mean, the Babylonians overtook it in 586 B.C. And, and, and Jerusalem has hardly known this, the, the stability uh, that this verse speaks of. Now, now, since Pastor Chris has been preaching through Revelation, uh, you may already have been thinking that this, this picture of a river in the city, uh, it reminds of Revelation 22 that you guys have just been in. So let's turn there to Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2. Revelation 22, last chapter in the Bible. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So in Revelation, we get a picture of the new Jerusalem, the everlasting city of God. And this new Jerusalem, unlike the present Jerusalem, has the throne of God and of the Lamb and a river uh, that flows from that throne, giving life to the trees that the nations eat for their healing. The city of God then, in Psalm 46, is the new Jerusalem. It's heaven. The church, is, the church in one sense, is the current city of God. For God dwells in and with his people here on earth. But one day, all the church will be, will be joined together in the new Jerusalem, as the new Jerusalem. And, and they will not be moved. We will forever be Secure. So the city of God is God's people in heaven. So what is this river that, that, that makes this city so glad? I believe that verse 5 tells us that God himself is that river. God is in the midst of his city and his presence makes his people secure and glad. So God is a river and a refuge for his people. So he's a river of refuge. My family and I, we, we currently worship at First Presbyterian Church of Hinckley. And Hinckley is known for its historic uh, fire in 1894. The Hinckley fire uh, wasn't uh, just a normal forest fire. It was a firestorm. A fire so strong that it burned a quarter of a million acres in four hours. It killed 418 people in the Hinckley area, not counting hundreds of Native Americans that were also in the area. The fire came down on the city very quickly. In a matter of minutes, people knew that their world had been turned upside down. Two of those people uh, were uh, my great-great-grandfather, James Jordan, and my great-great-grandmother, Cora Jordan. James Jordan was a lumberjack, kind of classic for a Minnesotan. 
And, and on that day, he, he was picking some cranberries with some people. And um, how he reports it, he, he, he got an uneasy feeling and, and decided uh, to return home. And when he got back home, he could tell that the temperature was really starting to rap, rapidly uh, get, get hotter. Uh, and then it became quite clear to people that there was a fire. So he and his wife and children ran for the train station, and they, 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 they all got on the train except for my great-great-grandfather. He decided uh, to return home to grab some papers. Probably not the wisest choice. <laughs> the temperature was rapidly getting hotter and hotter, so the train had to leave. It just had to go. At one point, the train came up to a bridge that was on fire, and the conductor had to make a choice. Do they stop and try to survive where they're at, or do they try to go over of this burning bridge? They decided to go over, and thankfully, they crossed it. And within minutes, that bridge collapsed. So they made it across, uh, but only a few minutes. Uh, if it had only been a few minutes earlier, they wouldn't have. They wouldn't have uh, survived. Um, so my great great grandmother and, and her children were safe. As for my, as for James Jordan, he he got back to his home, um, and. Uh, uh, and, and, and the heat was becoming so unbearable. He did run inside, he grabbed his papers, and then he made a dash uh, for safety as his house began to burn. He de- described it as his house was melting. He had to stop every so often to, to hit the ground in order to, to, to breathe, and, and because the heat was so unbearable. His own clothes briefly caught on fire as he made his way eventually to a river. He found a stump on the bank of that river, and he hid under it until the river, uh, hid under it in the river until the fire had subsided. James Jordan had found refuge, had found a river of refuge. It was the only place of safety. And God is that river of refuge for us when destruction comes to our world. And ultimately, one day, when the world is judged and those who do not put their faith in Christ, they, they will be cast into the eternal fires of hell for their sin towards God. So flee from those fires and come to the refuge. Come to the river of God. Come to the city of God how do I get to the safe city, you might ask? How, how, how do I enjoy this river? How do, I, how do I receive God himself? Turn with me to, to John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. John chapter 7. John chapter 7, starting in verse 39, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who had believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. If you are thirsty for God today, 
Jesus offers himself to you today to drink. Come to Jesus and drink of him freely. And how do you, how do you drink of Jesus? I mean, it kind of sounds strange, doesn't it? Verse 38 says, Whoever believes in me. So believing is spiritual drinking. When we believe in Jesus as the one who saves us from our sin, the one who took the punishment for our sin on the cross that we deserved, we drink of Jesus. We receive him. We also receive his Holy Spirit. Out of our hearts then flow rivers of living water. And this, 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 this river is God himself. It's the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is that river that, that, that flows from, from God's city, from his throne. And it flows down into our hearts, replacing fear with gladness, strengthening our faith, killing hopes that maybe we have made in this life, and giving us a secure hope in the city of God. So are you raging against God? Are you angry with God? Are you fighting with Him? Is your world tottering? Are you ready to make peace with God and to enjoy Him as your refuge and strength? You will not find another refuge or another strength to help you in this world. Nothing will be permanent. God is only a refuge and strength for those who are in Christ, for those who call on Jesus in faith. So come to Jesus, drink of him and of his life and of his death and of all the promises that are true in him. So we've heard about the catastrophes of this life. And of the great comfort that is found only in God. Protection and help for today and forever. So now let's consider the great commission of Jesus Christ. Let's look at verses 8 through 11 in Psalm 46. Turn back there with me. 8 through 11. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. For the first time in this psalm, God speaks in the first person. Be still and know that I am God. I think God wants us all to stop and to remember who is God. When we are afraid, when this world's out of control, we often seek to take control of it ourselves. God wants us to, to be still and know that He is God. He is sovereign and we are not. He is in control of the raging world and we are not. 
He brings desolation and judgment to the earth. And He brings peace to the earth. And that peace that we've just all been praying so fervently for for our world right now, it really can only come from Him. God also gives us a promise about these raging nations. He says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God promises that one day He will be worshipped among all the nations, tribes, peoples, and languages. There will be no name higher than God's. This is God's heart for the nations, that they would come to Him, find peace with Him, and exalt Him and worship Him in His city. This mission of God is what is then behind Jesus' great commission in Matthew 28 that we all know so well. Jesus commissions us to go and make disciples of all nations, to make new worshipers for God throughout the whole world. And as we make disciples, Jesus has promised, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. That's the same promise of Psalm 46. The Lord of hosts is with us. He is with us as he works in and through us to proclaim his gospel and to win over the nations to him. We may feel afraid to share the gospel with others, but Jesus wants you to know that he is a very present help for you in that particular fear too. He is your refuge and your strength as you make disciples. As we engage with a world that is more insecure than ever. So let's go and make disciples without fear, knowing that Jesus is with us. Let's pray. Jesus, you are Emmanuel, God with us. So we don't need to be afraid. Lord, our hearts are just everywhere. <laughs> From one minute to the next, it can change so much. From one day to the next, we could be doing good one day, and then the next day, the fear just uh, maybe even begins to cripple us. Lord, so we ask that you would comfort us. You would help us to remember to, to pray to you, to come to you daily in prayer, to bring our fears and our worries to you, that when we consider uh, the, the, all the aspects of the world that's going on around us, the, the politics going on, the, the, uh, the, 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 the details, the, just as we're trying to process all these things, Lord, help us to do it remembering that you are sovereign over the raging nations. Help us to do it with peace in our hearts, with, the, with a stillness in our hearts that, uh, that, that you are with us, that everything's going to be okay, and that there is a better city that we are putting our hope in. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.